Our sermon passage this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Amen. Thank you. If you have a Bible, um, if you haven't already, take it and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Um, as Austin said earlier, there are should be a Bible underneath the chair in front of you. If you didn't bring one this morning, I'd encourage you to do that. Here at Redeemer, we uh, are working through the book of 2 Timothy. That's our, our normal method of preaching. And today, we want to look at the next passage, which is chapter 4, what Julie just read for us. I, as we dive into this sermon, it's entitled Preaching and Hearing. I have a few concerns from the outset. And I would rather just go ahead and address them now, and then we'll, we'll see if we can work through them together. My first concern is about our church. And it's that we might approach a passage like this as a way to pat ourselves on the back and say that we're awesome and everyone else is wrong and celebrate our awesomeness. Now, if you've been around very long, you really know that none of those things are true, but we might be prone to do that. And so this morning, we don't want to talk about preaching in such a way to elevate what we do and downplay what others do. But rather, we want to approach this passage as a means of explanation for a conviction. We do have a conviction here at Redeemer Church that what God's people need most is to hear God's Word so that we can know God. We believe deeply that what the people of God need more than anything else is to hear God's word so that we can know God. And so we live in a day of innovation in the church. Everyone is trying to find a better way to do church. You guys remember the good old days when we've never done it that way was a negative statement, meaning like we've never done it that way and so we can't do it your way? Well, now it's, it's completely opposite. We've never done it that way means we should try it, except it doesn't. God has laid out for us the primary means of gathering in his church, and it's to gather around his word. We also live in a day of innovation in the church where we say things like we prefer circles over rows and we prefer dialogue and talking it out together over being talked to. And while pedagogically I might agree that rows are good and excuse me that circles are good and rows can be bad and while I love to talk it out as much as the next guy what Timothy is laying out for us is a pattern of having our mouths stopped 
so that our ears are opened to hear what God says. What Timothy is laying out for us in this passage is that there are times where what we think and what we want are irrelevant and secondary to what God thinks and what God wants. And so the church of Jesus is built around the word of God so that the church of Jesus will know God in Christ and be fueled by his Holy Spirit. So the conviction from this passage is that the people of God need the word of God so that we will know God and that preaching God's word and hearing God's word are vital activities for this to occur. So if you're not one prone to listen to me talk for the next 30 minutes, hear this right now. What Paul is saying in this passage is that the people of God need the word of God proclaimed so that the word of God will be central in our living. And this is a conviction that shapes the church's reality. So those of you who are interested in church leadership, you're interested in leading others, you're interested perhaps in being a preacher or a pastor or a teacher, let this passage resound that this is what God's church needs is His Word proclaimed. But, and this is a huge but, if you're here and you're like, I don't preach, I don't teach, I don't lead, I, just, I guess I don't need to listen, that would be incorrect. Because the conviction for the Word to be preached is because the people need the Word. And so, for all of us this morning, the question is not just, is the Word being preached, but am I hearing the Word? And so the question for Redeemer is not, is, is one, is the Word of God being preached here rightly, but two, are the people hearing God's Word? Because if we're not hearing it, what are we doing? So that's my conviction this morning And I want to convince you that that's what Paul is saying in this passage. So for those of you who are taking notes, the first point is urgent need. Urgent need. Paul is not writing an empty training manual for Timothy on how to plant churches. He is most certainly not writing a choose-your-own-adventure type training manual for Timothy about how to plant churches. Remember, this book, 2 Timothy, was written by a man named Paul who was a pastor and a church planter and a mentor to a man named Timothy who was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And Paul's writing to Timothy about his ministry. He's writing to Timothy about his church. But not only that, Paul is writing from a cell where he will soon die. And die because he believes in Jesus, he loves Jesus, and he will not recant. So we know for certain that this passage is one of the last recorded things, that, or the last thing that Paul wrote that we have access to. Because at the end of this passage, he's going to shift into the come to me soon and bring me the books and I bid you farewell type language. So this is the last word. 
Some scholars even believe that this might be the last thing that Paul wrote in his life. So there's an urgency to this. There's a resounding preach the word to the people of God that's intended to be conveyed. And it's there in his tone of voice in verse 1. You might say, Pastor, how do you hear tone of voice in words? Well, because of the words that he chose. Charge. I charge you. This is not a word that we would use for a preference. Like, hey, while you get up to go to the bathroom, if you might stop by the kitchen and grab me a glass of water, I would appreciate that. That's not the tone of voice here. It's much more like, I'm up here gagging on the communion bread, about to breathe my last, and I charge you, Jeff Wilkins, you're the closest, get me some water, right? Like, it's that kind of tone of voice, like, I'm charging you, this is what matters. It's, it's built into the Word. And then based upon what? Based upon what? In, in my example of me choking on communion bread, it would be based upon my life, so that I can live, get me some water. But based upon what does Paul make this charge? Based upon the fact that God's Son, Jesus, came into the world, lived, died, and rose again, whereby He will judge the living and the dead, and He is forever building His kingdom. Based upon the whole thing that is our faith, that is Christianity, that is the church, that is the gospel, based upon it all, I'm going to plead with you about something. I don't know how much more earnest Paul could get in his language. So his tone of voice has an urgent, needy appeal to it. These people need God's word. So, so the, the tone is urgent, but the situation is urgent also. And we see that in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And who will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul is saying there's a time coming, and he might have said, and now is. Because as long as people are people and people are sinful and Christ hasn't returned, this is true of people. People have itching ears. And you might be like, dude, my ears don't... And that's not what it means. It's a metaphor. It means we want to hear what we want to hear. And the itching ears will only endure sound teaching when the sound teaching makes much of the itching ears. And the itching ears will only endure sound teaching when the sound teaching scratches the itch. And so Paul says that people left to themselves, unchecked by the work of the Spirit, will not endure sound teaching. will find creative ways to accumulate teachers who say what we want to hear and who will subtly turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. Now, Paul's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. The, the warning is not for the world. The warning is for us. And so part of the way that we interpret this warning and this urgent need is not, that's right, preacher. Preach the Bible. We got it. But the warning is, where are my itching ears causing me 
to drift off away from the truth of God? Where are my itching ears causing me to wander off into myths? This is a hard warning for us to hear for a few reasons. It's a hard warning for us to hear because it has a very low view of humanity. It's a hard warning for us to hear because it has a very low view of humanity. Left to ourselves, we are creative people who will find creative ways to ignore God. And if you want to understand the world in which we live, I think that's it. Left to ourselves, we are creative beings who will find creative ways to ignore God. And while this is offensive to our human pride, we must understand that the gospel that we believe is offensive to our human pride. I mean, what is our message anyway? God made the heavens and the earth, and that God who made the heavens and the earth put His image in humans, in us. And we messed it all up. We rebelled against God. We chose our way. And in so doing, sin entered the world, death entered the world, and from the very beginning... And by the way, that wasn't a few generations in. That was the first two adults, the first two humans. They messed it up. And ever since, we've been joining them in their mistakes to mess up the world. Our message is God had to send His Son into the world to pay the penalty for our sin and deliver the world from us. And deliver us from us. And deliver us from our rebellion. So this, while offensive to our human pride, is what we say we believe. We believe that Jesus saves the most wretched of sinners and gives everlasting life. So all Paul's really saying to Timothy is remember that the human condition needs a Savior. And remember that the human condition needs to be reminded anew and anew and anew and anew that our only hope is in Christ. So I said this is a hard teaching because it makes little of the human condition. I also think this is a hard This is a hard teaching because it reminds us that the slide into what Paul calls myth and the slide into turning away from the truth is a subtle slide that we all could find ourselves on. Perhaps you don't follow as much as I do pastors and churches and church leaders who used to be faithful to the gospel and have now slid away. At least two to three times a month, there's another name, another pastor, another person who's either train-wrecked his faith with a moral failing or train-wrecked his faith um, with becoming like an unteachable autocrat or train-wrecked his church by, by leading it away from the Scripture. And the younger version of me would see that and go, man, I'm just, that's terrible, dude. How you let that happen? Just walk with Jesus. But now when I see those, this is what I've learned. That brother started out just like me. 
That brother started out with a pure heart before the Lord, set on obeying him and walking in his word. And that slide away from obedience and faith and right living and right leading and right preaching, it's a subtle one. And when we see someone make a train wreck of their faith, by all means, we should pray for them and we should pray for God to restore them. But we should also look right at our own hearts and say, where are we putting our fingers in our ears and turning away from the truth? Where are we prone to subtly sliding away from a life that would bring much glory to God? For that reason, we have an urgent need. Not everybody out there, but we have an urgent need. And the only antidote to the urgent need, according to Paul, is to have God's word rightly taught and proclaimed so that we can rightly hear it and believe it. The antidote is to have God's word rightly taught and proclaimed so that we can hear it and believe it. And so that leads to our second point for those of you who take notes. Preach the word correctly. So looking at verse 2, Paul says, I charge you, and then here's the charge. Preach the word. All the rest of it is explanation. Preach the word. So this is one of those places where grammar helps us. The word preach literally means to publicly proclaim a message. It means to publicly proclaim a message. And so on the authority of Paul, in the letter to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, I say what I said earlier, that we need to have our gatherings centered around God's word being proclaimed to us so that we hear God's word. So I'm all for, as I said earlier, I'm all for small groups, I'm all for discussion groups, I'm all for prayer groups, I'm all for helping people understand, I'm all for all types of interaction, but there is a place in the regular gatherings of the church where God's word is publicly proclaimed to us and our calling is to hear and to receive and to believe. Now, if the preaching is to be done correctly, then the content is God's Word. That's what he says. Preach the word. And you might say, well, what does he mean by the word? Well, just go up a few verses to the end of chapter 3. He says, chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when Paul says preach the word to Timothy, he means preach the scripture. Preach that which God has spoken. So for us today, that means preach the Bible. Preach the Bible. Now, I don't want to say that it has to be done exactly the way that Redeemer does it. I don't want to say that it has to be done exactly the way that I do it. I don't want to say that if your church is structured differently than our church, your church is wrong. I simply want to say that the diet of proclamation within the local church needs to be the word of God to the people of God in a way that the people can know God. We can, for a season, we can get by on unhealthy practices, but the healthy, steady, life-giving need of a church and of a Christian is to have God's Word clearly and tangibly and rightly proclaimed to God's people. For example, our college years prove that a human can live for four years on ramen, pizza, and soda, right? 
But I would suggest to you that just because you made it through age 22 on that diet doesn't mean that it's going to serve you well at 39. You probably won't see 40. And so just because we don't die in the first four years doesn't make it good or best. And I think that helps us understand this. We need the Word. Sustained, lively, long, obedient, joyful, walking with Jesus and bearing much fruit will be saturated in a ministry of His Word. And this is what that ministry should look like. He tells us at the end of verse 3. That ministry, first of all, should be for all seasons. He says, do it in season and out of season. He doesn't mean like, like deer hunting, like like there's deer season where it's legal to kill a deer, and there's not deer season where it's not legal to kill a deer. Or um, duck hunting, there's duck hunting season where it's legal to kill a duck. There's not duck hunting season where it's not, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about acceptance. He's talking about eagerness. He's saying every season is the right season to proclaim the word, so proclaim it whether it's readily received or not, because you know what people believe and need, and they need God. This isn't really an exotic, exciting way to think about what I do in life, but he's basically saying that preaching is like feeding your five-year-old broccoli. Like, do your kids eat broccoli joyfully? Am I the only one that has struggle with that? In any season. Second, if you're going to preach it right, connect it to life. Connect it to life. And you might say, oh, I don't see anything in there about connect it to life. Well, the word reprove means to point to something particular in someone's life and say, not that. The word rebuke means to point to something particular in someone's life and say, not that. And the word exhort means to point to something particular in everybody's life and say, pursue that. And so, Somewhere between 19 ways to be a better husband and just stale doctrine is a path of preaching that says know Christ, know His love, know His forgiveness and associate your thinking and your life and your decisions accordingly. Biblical preaching pushes us forward in biblical thinking and biblical living. Do it patiently. Do it patiently, Paul says. Does that seem out of place to anybody besides me? Preach the word patiently. How can I be urgent and patient? Seems out of place, right? Except, here's what we know about humans. We're not light switches. Everything's wrong. Everything's right. We're a really, 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 really long, tall dimmer switch. And we change progressively over time. And those who will teach God's word and preach God's word and lead God's people and disciple others in the faith and do evangelism will recognize that it is to be done with patience. I hope there's 40 or 50 things in this sermon that you could take out of it today, but in all reality, you're not going to remember more than one or two. And that kind of makes me sad, because I worked hard on all 40 or 50 of those, right? 
But if you were to take one or two things out of today's sermon and then multiply that over a year, that's a hundred things the Lord's working in your life. And I even let you miss two weeks of church. Did you catch that? And then you multiply that over, over ten years, that's a thousand things the Lord's working in your life. Oh, and there'll be some repeats, so we'll just cut it back to... But do you see, like, progressive, consistent proclamation of God's Word yields progressive, consistent life change and preachers and teachers and leaders and community group leaders and kids Sunday school teachers we have to take this long view of ministry that's done well is done patiently and that I believe is why Paul gives us verse 5 when he says be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist Fulfill your ministry. What he's saying is, take the long view. Do it patiently. Do it in love. Do it wanting to see people be like Jesus. Do it wanting to see the Word of God work out deeply in you and in others. And church... I think this point about patience in the proclaiming and teaching of God's word is a really, really important point for us. Does anyone besides me, are we prone to get upset because everyone doesn't respond to that one point of teaching in the overwhelmingly life-changing way that we thought they should? Right? That, short, that short circuits all of our evangelism all the time. Well, I mean, I, I made friends with my neighbors and I prayed for them like four times and then I shared the gospel with them and they didn't believe. God must not be faithful. Man, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it does. But most of the time, it's the long, faithful, obedient, word-living, word-believing, word-sharing road that God uses to bear much fruit in people's lives. And so Paul says, do it patiently. And I'm terrible at it. I'm just confessing that. But do it patiently. And then he says, fourth, so do it in all seasons, connect it to life, do it patiently, and instruct in the faith. Meaning that the, the, the method of our proclamation of God's word should result in, in people being taught how to know Christ and believe in Christ and follow Christ and obey Christ. So Paul says, the only antidote to our human need is to preach the word. And I'm going to add to it, the other part of that antidote is that we hear the word well. We hear the word well. And so I'm going to conclude this sermon by giving you eight ways to hear God's word well. I'm going to conclude this sermon by giving you eight ways to hear God's word well. Number one, make a commitment that God's word will get the last word. Make a commitment that God's word will get the last word. And here's what I mean. If the Bible, according to chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, is breathed out by God, it's God's Word, 
And it bears the fruit of teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work. If that is true, then God's word gets the last word. And and we as the people of God are making the commitment that what God says will get the last word with us. No, yeah, but. No, but God, you don't understand. But God, if you only knew. No, God's word gets the last word. That's a commitment of being a Christian. It's what Jesus had in mind when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. One of the fundamental differences between the church and the world ought to be that the church makes this commitment that God's word gets the last word. And everything else flows from that commitment. Number two, pray before coming to church. Pray before coming to a gathering where God's word is going to be proclaimed. Pray that God would prepare you to hear his word. Would prepare you to give it the last word, no matter how hard that might be. That he would prepare you to be teachable and receiving and to hear clearly. Ask God to do that work in you that only he can do. And just as a little aside, those of you that might say, I struggle reading the Bible personally, that prayer works vitally there too. I'm trying to teach my nine-year-old how to read the scripture right now. And every morning before we open it up, I'm like, no, 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 buddy. And right now it feels like rote memory, but hopefully it'll click in. Now before we read, what do we do? We ask God to help us understand. We ask God to teach us. We ask God to show us what it means. Because really, that's the first thing that has to happen is the Spirit has to to give us eyes to see. So start your desire to be under the Word with a prayer that God would help you receive and hear and believe. Third, if we want to listen well to God's Word, we will read the passage before arriving at the gathering. The more you can study the passage that's going to be preached before you arrive, the better. You may not know this, it might be stuck in your spam filter, but every Thursday, Andy Duke sends out an email, and the, 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 Andy's on staff here at Redeemer, and the heading is Weekly Bible Passage. We're telling you on Thursday exactly what passage will be preached on Sunday, and he even copies and pastes it into the email for you. So you don't even need a Bible, or a smartphone, or an app. You just need your email. But it's there for you. Why? Because we want you to read the Word. It's much, 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 much more important that God speak to you from His Word than you hear anything that comes out of my mouth. Fourth, if you want to listen well, pray for the person who is preaching. Pray that that person would be led by the Spirit. Pray that that person would have already been spoken to from the Word and challenged by the Word and led into life-altering repentance and faith by the Word so that that person can share with you from the overflow of what God has already done in him. Pray for the preacher. Fifth, pray for others. Pray for others. Have you ever thought that maybe what the dynamic of going on, what's going on in this room right now is bigger than you? Have you ever thought that the dynamic that's going on in this room is bigger than my struggles or your struggles? 
Have you ever thought that maybe what's going on right now is somebody three rows to your left is being converted by the Spirit and you have no idea? Have you ever thought that maybe five rows behind you is a person that came in here believing that God, that the Bible wasn't God's Word and God's really working on their heart right now? Have you ever thought that nine rows behind you, we only have eight I think, so nine rows behind you, see I'm not calling anybody out, but nine rows behind you is somebody who's been stuck in a pattern of sin for 30 years and the Spirit of God's pulling them out of it right now? So yes, I want you to hear God's word. Yes, I want you to be changed by God's word. But I also want us to take this perspective that God's doing a million things in this room right now that go far beyond us. And I want us to pray for God to do those things so that we can celebrate those as well. Number six, if you want to listen well to God's word, find ways to listen attentively. Find ways to listen attentively. Now look, this is where we're all different, okay? But we have to know ourselves and we have to know how to listen. So my wife would tell you, it was funny when I was, I was talking about her in the first service and she was down taking notes. My wife would tell you that if her pencil's not moving, she's not listening. She knows that about herself. If she's not writing things down, she's not listening. I would tell you that if I'm writing something down, I am not listening to you. I'm writing a note to somebody. I'm making a task list. I'm working on next week's sermon. If I'm writing, I'm not listening. So I'm not like, hey, take notes. But I'm saying know yourself. Know what it takes for you to pay attention. And if, for example, my nine-year-old is distracting to you and prevents you from listening to the, to the Bible be preached, don't sit by us anymore. Just don't. If it hurts our feelings, we'll get over it. We just want you to know Jesus. I mean, not every parent in here is subconscious. There was, no, there was no dig there. I'm just saying know yourself. My listening posture looks something like this. I have to stare down because I'm a little ADD. And I'm a little hard of hearing, so I have to lean in. That's how I listen. You might think I'm asleep. There are some of you right now that I'm trusting that eyes closed and head back is how you listen well. <laughs> but know yourself. And know what it's going to take for you to listen well. And plan appropriately. Parents, that also means help your kids do that. Number seven, if you want to listen to God's word well, commit to at least one takeaway. Like I said, I hope there's 40 or 50 things you could take away from this sermon. But if you try to remember all 40 or 50 of them, you'll remember nothing and Satan wins. What are one or two things that the Lord would want you to take away from this sermon in such a way that you would not only remember them on Wednesday, but you would be wrestling with them next Friday and you would be praying about them next Saturday and you would be thinking about them next Sunday when you walk in here to hear God's word proclaimed again. Commit to at least one takeaway from God's word. Number eight, if you want to listen well to God's word, discuss it with others. Now notice what I did here. I said earlier we need God's word spoken to us. I also believe that we need to dialogue around God's word. So discuss it with others. You know, this is why we have community groups, so that we can get together and talk about how God is speaking to us from his word, and we can drive that into our lives further. Um, you know, if you go to lunch with somebody today, or even if you just go home with your family and sit down to have a bowl of soup before you put your kids down for a nap, you, you could just have this one little conversation of, of, okay, how's God speaking to you from his word today? And see, I do believe that when we talk about things that we've heard, 
that helps etch them into our memory. And I do believe when we talk about things that we've learned, that helps press them deeply into our lives. So here's the thing. Because of the urgency of the world in which we live and the fallenness of humanity, God's people need God's word so that God's people can walk with God in God's world. So we need God's word proclaimed and we need to hear it well for the glory of Jesus. So Father in heaven, I pray this morning that you would continue to teach us from your word. I pray that anything in this message that was true and good and rightful and glorifying and helpful, that you would etch it into us and change us. Lord, this morning I'm also compelled to pray for the church of Jesus in this community. There are nearly a hundred local churches in the city of Hendersonville. I want to pray for every single one of them. I want to pray that your word would resound and reign in every single one of them. And for those pastors who are faithfully opening your word, who are faithfully calling your people to know you and to walk with you, I pray that you would enliven their preaching and I pray that you would give them joy and hope and patience as they faithfully plod forward in making disciples for your name. Or should there be any churches in our community that are falling short of making your word central, I pray that you would teach and correct and help and reshape all for your glory. For us, Father, I pray that you would make us attentive to your word. You would make us attentive to what you have spoken and that indeed in our lives we would believe in Christ and be changed by him. We pray this for his glory.